Hello everybody, it is the time of year to begin registering for one or two of my slow groups that begin in July. My slow groups are these special groups where I focus on one topic and we deeply unpack it over the course of six months. So these are highly nuanced, deep dive, advanced groups. These are excellent for those of you who have taken my six week course or who just want to focus on one particular topic through a somatic and trauma-informed lens. The two that are opening up in July, or will begin in July, are my embodied parenting group and my embodied nutrition group. The embodied parenting group is just like it sounds, learning how to parent from your body, learning how to ground yourself in your parenting so you're not parenting from a reactive triggered place, but from a much more conscious place so you can actually find joy in your parenting instead of it being a total hellscape, like some of you have told me it is, and I've experienced it myself. The other group is an embodied nutrition group. This has been requested for years. For the past four years after students complete my course, they say, can you please do a course on nutrition and make it longer than six weeks? So finally, I can say, yes, you can, and I can, and I did. It is a six-month unpacking of the intersection between trauma nutrition, and somatics. How do we recover from stress and trauma via food? How do we relate to food as a being and not just some object on the plate? What's the biochemistry of food? Why is it not the best for my blood sugar to have toast, but lentils are just fine if they're both carbohydrates? All of this and more will be unpacked in this six-month group. To register for these groups, please go to my website, holisticlifenavigation.com, and click Groups or you can click the link in the episode details below. Registration closes on June 1st. It is only open through May because we need the month of June to prepare everybody for July. I'm looking forward to this deep dive with you all. I'll see you there. Before we begin today's episode, I want to remind you that registration is now open for my next six-week course. It will remain open for one more week until Monday, April 25th. To register, visit holisticlifenavigation.com. On today's episode, I speak with Nisha Muthi about how we can notice the joy right alongside the pain. Well, something that came up for me was how um, making it make sense, right? Like making it make sense is our mind, right? So I could think I'm going to make it make sense. And if it doesn't make sense, like, then what feeling is going to come out of that? Like, I'm going to be annoyed or frustrated. Or I can be like, realize it's all in my body. And like, it doesn't make sense and laugh about it. <laughs> Welcome to the Holistic Life Navigation Podcast. I'm your host, Luis Mujica. I was sick and depressed until I discovered that I could make music. And then my whole life transformed because I began learning how to listen more deeply. Listen to life, to the people around me, and to my body. And that's when I realized that the body speaks through sensations, and learning this new language meant relearning my body and mind. I soon healed myself of many chronic conditions and then began teaching others how to do so as well. Holistic Life Navigation combines nutrition, self-inquiry, and somatic experiencing to help you release stress and trauma just by listening to your own body. This podcast serves as a place to share my experiences, as well as the experiences of many others who have healed and are healing through unique 
unorthodox and unusual ways. Your time to learn begins now. This is, I'm just on a roll with juicy conversations, and Nisha has just brought more juice in, <laughs> lemon juice to be specific, and this will all make sense soon. Nisha's work is really gorgeous. Um, she essentially holds space for people to connect with themselves and to see how much agency they have in their bodies. Um, especially people whose identities um, have caused them to experience oppression in a systemic way, um, as well as people who don't, who may feel oppression in their own way, in their own internal judgments. I, I find this practice of relating to pieces inside of us in a non-binary way to be so important. We hear non-binary a lot in more of a pop culture, even political way right now, as we refer to gender, if we go into non-binary in terms of ourselves and our thinking, it, it just literally means not to see something as good or bad inside of you, but just to meet it with a curiosity. And all the prejudice and hate and pain that we have um, collectively, individually, it really comes from this um, inability to connect with the contradictory parts within ourselves. So it sounds strange when you're grieving and when you're um, in pain and when you're experiencing trauma to also attune to joy. In a binary thinking pattern, it doesn't make any sense, does it? And what I love about the body and about somatic psychology is if it isn't making sense, you're doing it right. <laughs> it's very abstract because we're feeling into the body and feelings are quite lawless. They don't have language. They don't have concepts of right or wrong. They don't even ask for permission. They are just there. And we either grow with a practice of cultivating a relationship to them, expanding our capacity to connect and see them, or we build a practice and culture of soothing, of coping, of distracting ourselves from them. And the culture I grew up with in America was the latter. Everything served to look outside of myself. All of my goals, everything that I was seeing growing up in magazines, on television, with the people I loved around me, it was all about a pursuit. It was this colonial reverberation of a need to go out and conquer, still moving through our tissues. And what I found interesting when I started just noticing that it wasn't working for me before I had any of this language was I started writing music. And in these songs were these extremely strange, bizarre characters and metaphors and stories that were super taboo and made no sense in the linear world. Songs that no one would ever even want to listen to because they were so sometimes grotesque and terrifying. And they were parts of me coming through on a piece of paper that I could then sing back to myself. And for many years, I spent hours and hours and hours locked in my room, just writing and singing music. And it gave me this ancient, you know, wisdom that is the being of music, gifted me this opportunity to reflect the most unkind, dangerous, um, taboo, hated parts of myself 
into a story, onto paper, into a song where they could live safely and I could get to know them. And I really believe that was more powerful than any training I've ever done as a therapist, in trauma work, as a coach, nutritionist. That was really what I needed to even live a good life because now I wasn't afraid of what was going to come up inside of me. Even if something inside of me was scary, I had the tools to sit with it. And that's essentially what Nisha does. Teaches people how to feel those parts of them and how to access the joy and the agency, even in situations that seem opposed to that. So like I was saying earlier, when we have a binary way of thinking of right and wrong, good and bad, we get cut off from the rest of our experience. We attune only to the pain only to the trauma, only to the oppression. Now, if we don't attune to that, and if we ignore that, or we deny that, we're bypassing it. That does nothing for us because our minds can bypass it, but our bodies are still being bathed in it. So what if I attune to both? What if I first attune to a place that's joyful or pleasurable or safe and build some resource in my physical body? And then from there, I have the capacity to look at this other thing that's really scary, really activating, possibly even pervasive if it's still going on. The practice of holding both and in my body means I'm expanding capacity for everything because nature and this world is actually quite non-binary. It's humans that have created this idea of right and wrong and good and evil. And I want us to just sit with that and feel that as you listen to Nisha and I speak. It's a beautiful conversation, and it begins now. So I'd like to welcome Nisha Mudi to the show. Thank you for being here with us. Thank you so much, Luis. I'm so humbled and excited to be in conversation with you. So am I. You know, what, what made me reach out to Nisha was this gorgeous post that um, she put up actually after, um, I think what you listened to the podcast, right? With me and Minachi, is that right? Yeah, yeah. So I'm just getting it right now. I just had it here, but then I, I lost it. But it's essentially, as I'm finding it, it's this incredible, incredible. I mean, it's to me, it's beyond a post. It's like a practice, right? Um, mm. But, you know, you wrote it so beautifully. And it's all about this practice of noticing the joy alongside the pain. Is that exact? Is that how you felt when you wrote it? Yeah, that's how I felt when I wrote it. And as a result of listening to how Minachi described joy, not bypassing pain or not mm. bypassing other things that happen in our life. And um, I also had um, talked about how also in the context of like resilience, mm-hmm. um, you know, kind of reframing joy um, or reframing resilience actually with joy in a way. So, yeah. Mm-hmm. I love that. So I'm going to read what um, Nisha written. So first you quote uh, Minachi and it says, here Minachi talks about joy being a very expansive experience that can hold all emotions. I think of joy as like a sense of bliss that doesn't bypass life. It allows for all experiences. And then you wrote, this description of joy blew me away. After listening to this episode, the first thought I had was maybe we can reframe resilience and connect it with joy. Last year, I wrote an essay about how we can't talk about resilience without talking about trauma. 
So often the narrative of resilience mirrors that of defying all odds and winning at life, inadvertently shaming those who can't meet those expectations. Parentheses, I agree. This completely dismisses those who, often due to systemic oppression and violence, don't fit that winning mold. And this is why I am even more enamored with joy. Joy doesn't ask you to win. It asks you to remember. Mm. It says things were hard and things were beautiful, sometimes at the same time. I don't want to block out the times I wished my dad offered me more emotion or the eight years I was partnered with my ex-husband because these experiences gave me so much. I cultivated friendships, musical tastes, memorable evenings, emotional intelligence, and silent understandings that live in my heart forever. The fact is, if you look closely, joy is usually part of the story. Now I understand how access to this joy holds compassion for the people who didn't give me what I needed. To me, this joy is whole and nuanced and complex and painful, just like life. Woo! So that is so powerful. In reading it, I feel it all over again. And why don't we just kind of sit in that and tell me where that takes you now? It's been a while since you wrote it, but... Yeah. Thank you so much for reading that. I had like tingles in my body. Mm, um, it really brings me to process, you know, um, and how we can have multiple feelings at once. And it's very layered. Like when I was maybe with my father, I mentioned him um, because he's passed away almost 10 years ago now. And, um, I didn't in many ways realize my relationship with him until after he left, years after he died. Um, With my ex-husband, it was an abusive relationship. And um, yes, I harbored a lot of anger and pain as a result. And on a deeper level, you know, I also see everyone as a teacher, you know, and that brings up so many different types of emotions that are layered. And sometimes those emotions come up later, right? Um, So it's like, Knowing that I don't know what emotions are are there or like the timing of them, I think is really interesting. Um, so yeah, to me, it brings up so much about process and about how in so many ways we might think, you know, in the first year or two after my father died, I, I mean, of course I was sad and I was grieving him, but I often talk about how in the past couple of years I have so much, there's so much more emotion that has come up, you know? So it's like, you don't know until you know. (laughs) Um, And I think that's, what's really coming up for me and how beautiful the unexpected can be um, on that level. And and that is what what joy is to me um, as well. What I appreciate so much about how you reflect this experience and how you wrote about it and how we're speaking about it, often when I'm in my course with people or, you know, a group and and teaching these practices as well, some people will say something like, but if I attune to my joy, isn't that bypassing? And I love that you brought up bypassing in Soda Minaji because it's so important to me. Um, For me, what you said at the end about joy is as complex and includes the pain. It's all part of the same spectrum, essentially, of sensation, because every experience is so like juicy, isn't it? With so many different <laughs> varying, you know, emotions connected. So what I'm always love to to notice, and I'd like to hear how you experience it, is 
when I look out at the world and I see injustice or violence or pain, or I experience it myself, the bypassing would be pretending it doesn't exist. Whereas the attuning to joy would be, okay, it exists. And so does my joy. And then I'm more resourced. Tell me what that's like for you. What does that mean for you? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think it's, I feel very similarly. It's that bypassing is acting like it doesn't exist or that it doesn't affect me. So it doesn't matter too. I think that that's maybe on a subconscious level, right. Um, or it can be on a conscious level too. Um, that, and that, that to me reminds me just of like kind of this bootstraps individualism mentality, um, often reinforced by white supremacy. And, um, so there's that. And so to me, there's like a collective component to it. I think, you know, I think that's what comes up in terms of collective as all of us as a, a large global community, whether it's um, collective within our family um, structure, whatever that may be, um, and collective within our body. You know, I was actually listening to your, um, what today it was your latest episode about body sovereignty and seeing it as another being. And I thought about how, like, even that as a collective, our mind, our body, like us, like, just looking at things on that more holistic, holistic level, right? Holistic navigation. Um, so yeah, I think that that's really, um, kind of what comes up for me with that. Um, and I also want to add when you said juicy, I loved that because the first thing that came up to me when I thought of juicy was a lemon and how, when you heat a lemon in the microwave, like my mom will say, like, put it in the microwave for 10 seconds, more juice will come out. So how are we also nurturing ourselves or, um, shifting the the way we move through the world so that like different juices come out, I guess, you know? Um, So I had to like bring up that metaphor because I'm like, oh yeah, like we can do different things. Like I can just keep the the lemon in the in the fridge and like let it dry out or, or I can try to warm it up. So where does choice come into all of this as well? You know, so that's that's kind of when you said all that what came up. Okay, now this conversation is getting juicy because now I'm thinking (laughs) I love the lemon example because so when you were talking about bypassing as um, not even by um, denying, right? I think I was speaking more toward denial, but bypassing Mm -hmm. as I'm not feeling it, like it doesn't affect me. Mm -hmm. Um, So one of my friends and colleagues, Amber McSeal, who's been on my podcast, we did an event last night with my membership about decolonization. And one of the things that she was saying was our feelings have become very colonized, right? Just like when you were talking about the winning mentality, there's these winning emotions as well. And then there's these like weak emotions. And so this kind of forms from when you said white supremacy, which is a branch of, you know, colonial colonization and colonialism, this, this place that we've been bathed in many of us in this, um, where do you live? Are you in America? Yes. I'm in Los Angeles. Okay, I figured like in American culture, we've been bathed in such a post-colonial context where these emotions, like if we think of the warm lemon and all of its nuance and juiciness, so many of those have been overcoupled with like shame and weakness and straight up danger and threat, depending on what kind of body you live in, what kind of family system maybe you come from or cultural system. And so I find it interesting when we think about the act of decolonizing our own bodies which is very different than decolonizing land. When we decolonize our bodies and we start to notice, oh, all that cultured, conditional shame around feeling nuance 
when I when I go into that, it's like that warm lemon. But when I'm bypassing, it's that cold lemon. All those juices are just being stored and shoved down. And that's where trauma comes in. So I'm throwing a lot out, but you're <laughs> it, it's coming up in me as you're speaking. So I'm curious what you're hearing and where that goes. Oh gosh, I love it. Yeah. Like, yeah. I mean, I love like any analogy that relates to like food or gardening or any of that. I think it's it's it makes sense, right? Like that's like a, a microcosm of, of, of the world. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, and yeah, like bypassing, um, kind of tells us we don't need the lemon. Like it doesn't, it doesn't serve a purpose. Um, it's there and I'm here, um, as opposed to what it's, what can its use be, you know, and then what can I do with it? It's in a way it's like creation too. Right. Cause I could just take it out and leave it on the counter. Um, right. Um, and, um, you know, another thing I do is I put it down my garbage disposal to clean it out. You know, I could do that. <laughs> um, so yeah, I think it, um, getting, I liked how you said like getting into it is like the juiciness and the nuance. I really loved that because, um, it is that it is in that nuance of holding things that might be oppositional, but can co completely coexist that I think, that's where healing is, you know, to me, a healing is so much of a return to yourself. It's actually not like covering anything up. It's actually going in and like, um, getting to know yourself, you know, um, it's a becoming and an unbecoming at the same time. And I don't see these things as binaries, just as I don't see pain and joy as binaries, you know, and binary thinking, you know, there's, um, those characteristics of white supremacy, um, thinking that binary thinking is one of them. So one actually metaphor, another metaphor, I love metaphors and frameworks. I think about is how, you know, when we look at like pain and joy or something that's like on a binary, um, gender or whatever, I think of it instead of looking at it on a lint in, in terms of being linear, um, on that binary is, um, I think about a sphere. And how, well, first of all, we are on a sphere on this earth, right? Literally and figuratively, like, where are we on this sphere in our own experience? And how are we knowing others in that way in our own experience? And um, how does um, me thinking about, you know, these feelings that I'm experiencing, for example, I have a very good friend whose father just passed away um, a couple weeks ago. And here I am 10 years out from my father passing away, you know, and my experience of grief with him now affects the, the relationship I have with my friend and that I can speak to her about this experience differently because I've gotten into those, those juices. I was just telling my partner the other day that now I feel like I can talk about my experience of grief about my father differently because now there's like 10 years of an ocean behind me that I can kind of look back at. And so, um, so yeah, it's like, how am I like, how is that, um, like almost like the marinating of that happening, you know? Um, and how can I look back? Cause I could, I could have spent the last 10 years not going to therapy, not talking about my grief, avoiding it. Um, I don't know, like just being away from those feelings or I could sit with it. And there were times I probably did be away from it, you know? And that is also, I think, um, I want to also bring judgment of feelings into this, right? Like, um, how am I judging, you know, um, myself moving into my feelings? Um, how is avoidance of my, my feelings? Um, all, so avoidance of my feelings and also rationalization of my feelings, a way of avoidance, right? So, 
So yeah, I'm not sure if any of that like was cohesive with what you said, but that's everything that came up for me. <laughs> Hey, my friends, I want to take a break from the episode to remind you that my next six-week course begins on Monday, May 2nd. Registration for this course opens on April 5th. That same day, I'll be hosting a live webinar with replays that explains how the course works, shows you what it looks like, and answers any of your questions live. Any of you that really want to get into this course, go to my website right now, holisticlifenavigation.com, and click on the course at the top and then click join waitlist. This guarantees you a spot because you'll receive an email one week before registration opens, inviting you to early register. So then you get in before it sells out. This course is my favorite thing right now because we're joined by a global group of people, first of all, who are coming together around the same piece, wanting to release their stress and trauma through listening to their body. So a bunch of body listeners get to sit together live for six weeks. And through the six weeks, you have ongoing support with a private online community space we've created and from me and my team to answer your questions, help you with any technical issues, and emotionally guide and support you throughout the six weeks. For more information on the course, visit holisticlifenavigation.com. Now let's get back to the episode. As you're speaking, there's like these little fruits of this tree that I'm like plucking from that I want to talk about. Um, you know, I love when you said about judging feelings. Mm-hmm. If we all, everyone listening to this, if we think about um, somatically what that means, right? That, that literally means there's a defensive posture against a sensation. So mm-hmm. like a sensation of grief or tenderness or tired or vulnerable or scared, you know, whatever it is. And a part of the body literally is constricting to not feel it. Or like you said, there's like this internal flight response to the mind to uh, figure it out, to think about it, to validate, unvalidate. And by doing that again, you're removing yourself from feeling the sensation. I find that to be so important because of what you said before, which is the binaries of sensation and the reality that within our bodies and psyches are so many contradictory beings and feelings and beliefs and desires that don't make sense. Mm -hmm. And this inability to sit with the non-binary in us, in my opinion, is where all this prejudice comes from in the external world. I can't be with the part of me that feels strong and weak at the same time. So I have a binary that gets put out and says, you're right if you do this, you're wrong if you do this. And that turns into so many categories of um, sex, gender identity, religion, skin color, culture, it, it just goes on and on and on. Mm-hmm. And so when you were saying the, I forget exactly how you said it, something like the parts that oppose can also get along. You said something along those, those lines. That's the work that lights me up the most because in this earthly experience, we are constantly, especially on the American continent now, we are always sharing a space with so many different cultures and peoples and beliefs and opinions. And if we can't even share space in our bodies with our own contradictory feelings, we can't tolerate someone else's, right? And that's really where oppression, for me, that's where it seems like it's rooted from, from the individual. It's become systemic, but the individual body, it's like it's born from that posture. Tell me what you think about that. Oh, yeah. Um, 
I tend to kind of see like the top down and bottom up is like a confluence for sure. Um, it's kind of like chicken and the egg, like where does it start? Um, but I do think what we have like that sovereignty over is our body, right? Um, and what you had said about um, I, I, what, something that came up for me was how um, m- making it make sense, right? Like making it make sense is our mind, right? So I could think, speaking of judgment, I could th- think I'm going to make it make sense. And if it doesn't make sense, like then what feeling is going to come out of that? Like I'm going to be annoyed or frustrated, or I can be like, realize it's all in my body. And like, it doesn't make sense and laugh about it. <laughs> oh yes. I love that. <laughs> so how am I bypassing my body by trying to make it make sense? Right. Um, so that like just really, really came up for me. And what was the last thing you said? Sorry. I'm like, that was something that was just really prevalent in my mind when you were I wanna talking. Like, I want to marinate in that for a moment. Okay. Because okay, cool. <laughs> <laughs> I, I think of the quote from Alok, you know, who's like a, it's like, oh, yeah. a, they're like a non-binary um, activist, fashion icon, lots of, lots of things. But I, some, something they said was like, I don't need to understand you to love you. Mm. And you don't have to understand me to love me. And every time I say it out loud, I get chills. And it's exactly what you're saying, isn't it? It's like being able to sit in the ambiguity with a sense of curiosity and openness is it's so sensational and abstract and so it's beyond even the word ancient to me. You know, it's before language and context and idea and concept. It's just this like nature in us that comes through. And when we get to that place of trying to make sense of it, we literally lose the practice of first building capacity for what's there already. And we we create, again, an entire culture of um, soothing and coping and distracting. And like when I think of dominant culture, again, I really see it through the lens of somatic trauma work. Mm-hmm. Because I see these people who are trying so hard, as you said in your post, to win. And that's mm-hmm. such an adrenalized state that's like shocking you out of your sensational body. You're like disembodied mm-hmm. in your pursuit of happiness, you know? So I, I just find it what you said really important, that piece of what if we didn't try to make sense of it? What if you mm-hmm. just felt it and were with it? And that's what I said at the end that you asked me to repeat I see every kind of binary in our external world. And to me, binary eventually turns into prejudice. I don't know how it can, if you think one's right, one's wrong. But every like external binary comes from, for me, the inability to individually and collectively hold the ambiguity of ourselves, right? Because then someone mirrors a part of ourselves we haven't been able to hold yet, and then we hate them for it. Okay. Yeah, totally. And so one of my teachers is James Olivia True Hillman, who I know you've had them on your oh, podcast. Oh, wonderful. <laughs> I love so James this is, Olivia. This is, yeah, James Olivia is amazing. Um, and it just makes me think I'm in one of their programs now in regard. And um, it makes me think about being with someone and relating to them. Um, and how being with how that's also about being with ourselves, you know, and Yes, completely. I feel like I can now sit with um, my mother, who's one of my greatest teachers <laughs> on many levels and oh, yeah. much more than I used to. But also, you know, there's times where I need certain space and boundaries, you know, and um, I think it's like, I don't have to understand you, but I can try to know you. 
Um, and I think that's something that kind of reminds me of what James Olivia talks about a lot. Um, like I want to know you and understand you because you have all this juiciness in you that I don't know. And maybe you don't know. And like, let's explore it together. Um, and also how has, how have the conditions of the world world maybe made you a threat to me or me a threat to you, you know, and can we, can, not just how can we be with each other? First of all, can we? Because one thing James Olivia taught me also is that I don't have to relate to everybody. I can make that choice. And that choice is powerful. Um, and that doesn't mean in two weeks, I might want to relate to you and might want to know you, but maybe now I can't and I'm one person and that's okay. But yeah, um, and that also is connected to something I've been thinking a lot about lately is how, what other people awaken within us. Um, you know, I was just on a family vacation with my mom and brother for a week, a couple of weeks ago. And I was thinking about the things that were frustrating me. Um, and also the things that were happening that used to frustrate me and no longer frustrated me in seeing how, um, my own process of being with the different parts of my, the ways I feel now are reflected in how I am. What is being awakened within me when they say something that might have formerly been super activating for me, or maybe they say it five times and then I'm all of a sudden activated again, you know? So all of that being like in my own process and in my own, um, I don't know, evolution of sorts, um, how that has now shifted my relationship with them because now something what's being awakened with me is within me is different you know, um, or has shifted. So, yeah. And I think that has to do with like, because I'm no longer bypassing myself coming back to that. Right. I'm no longer bypassing all the juiciness within me because I am warming it up and letting all of it kind of come out as much as I can within my capacity. And I think that's also really, really important. Like I, I am one person and I am a human being and I can't, cannot do it all at once. And, um, yeah. So where, in this timeline of the sphere has <laughs> it all kind of, I love just like bringing it all together. As oh, you yeah. <laughs> <laughs> where, 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 how does that bring me here where I am now? You know? Yeah. Two words you said, and then I want to pivot into your work, you know, and what you offer to the world. Cause I, it's, I usually start with that, but we yeah. just like <laughs> jumped into philosophy and the practice, which I so admire you for being able to do with me. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> These two words you said are my favorite words, relate, capacity. And I love when you were saying, you know, like, I'm allowed to choose if I relate. I don't have to relate to everybody. Mm -hmm. I'm allowed to choose and I might change in a couple of weeks. That that speaks to capacity because I love the term capacity because as like a human physical body, it, it only has so much capacity for <clears throat> relationship and activation and sensation and uh, not eating and not sleeping, you know, it has so much capacity. My desires have limitless capacity because they're from the ether. They don't have a physical, you know, wall they hit. So I, I love this um, practice, and I'm projecting this onto you. Okay, I have a practice uh, with capacity, which is just bowing to that at all times, and mm. then from there, I decide how I'm able to relate. And when I hear you say, you know, I don't have to understand you, but I want to know you. I really hear that to know be relating, you know, like, because the knowing you, the idea of you is something that I create and it will change and it might even compress you if I've created an idea and expectation. 
And to relate to you is literally relate to what's in front of me. You know, you as you are in front of me, how am I able to relate to that? And if I have warmed up that lemon and I'm like all about those juices and I'm like good with them that day, like I have capacity <laughs> for all those juices, yeah. I, I'm going to relate to pretty much anyone. And it doesn't mean like I allow anyone to hurt me. That's not relating. It sure. just means there's this openness and curiosity of like, oh, what's before me? Because I've already made friends with what's in me. And then when, like you said, when something awakens in me that I haven't made friends with, it's like, whoa, thank you, teacher. And I might never want to see that teacher again, but what Mm -hmm. they've awakened in me is mine for life to be with now. Um, So, I mean, that's how I heard what you were saying. Is that similar for you or is it different? Oh yeah, no, that is so right on. And I think when when we talked about what you said, capacity and then limitless, like I also saw that as like the limits we have in the moment versus the limitless desires we can always have and seeing both of those things together is, is like a beautiful, um, um, connection in so many ways. So, yeah, I mean, yeah, what you said was exactly where I was going with that. And I loved how you, um, brought that all together. So thank you. Yeah, no, thank you. This has been such a rich, really wonderful conversation. I'm I'm definitely going to want to talk to you again in the future in some capacity. Wonderful. Um, I want you to tell us about you. Like, what's your story? What's your short story that you want to tell? You know, like, what, what's your, how do you move in the world? What do you offer? What should people listening know about you based on what we're talking sure. about? Sure. Um, I think what people should know about me is that I am a person who I've had so many careers. Um, and I'm someone who, ever since I was young, wondered, um, what am I going to be when I grow up? That question that kids are always asked. Um, and you know, one thing I realize now is that I feel like the question that I wasn't asked or none of us are really asked is who I want to be. Um, and, um, I try to bring that into the work I do. Um, I'm a feminist healing coach. I, I, um, on a very practical day-to-day level, I work with organizations. Um, I work with individuals and groups doing coaching and facilitating, um, and just connecting a connection is one of my values. And I just love connecting, whether it's in a space like this with the two of us, as well as, you know, in the future, connecting with your audience, um, and just getting to know people and seeing different ways of being. I'm all, like I said, all about these different ways of, of, of frameworks and um, of, of thinking in terms of these different frameworks. And um, I, I also couple curiosity and humility together as one of my values, because I think that being curious offers a space to be humble. Um, so like I said, I call myself a feminist healing coach. And really, I, 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 that to me is someone where I, I look at supporting people through life through an anti-oppressive lens, keeping in mind um, that we have so much sovereignty and choice more than we think and um, systems of oppression want to make us think that we don't. <laughs> so like kind of like what I was saying, that top down, bottom up, like where do we meet ourselves in, in that space? Um, I'm currently running a group about boundaries for BIPOC, called Boundaries for BIPOC, um, where I'm taking a look at what boundaries look like, specifically in a space where um, Black, Indigenous, and or people of color um, can hopefully, you know, find some safety to talk about that, whether it's looking at boundaries around whiteness, which is 
always there. Um, and also within, within our own personal realms or within our different circles that we are in and community. Um, and I love to do these things as a collective activity because, um, again, thinking about the winning and supremacy culture in general, I don't want to be that person who, you know, is the expert or like knows everything. Cause I think we all are experts on ourselves, you know? So, so yeah, that's what I, I put out into the world. I, I, talk to organizations about being trauma-informed, showing up, collective care, um, which all of this is just very rooted in my values, you know, um, a few of which I've mentioned already. So yeah, I mean, I've, I've worked as a speech language pathologist. I've worked as a librarian, um, as a consultant. Um, I also, a lot of my own healing journey actually started with writing and memoir writing. So I've, I've um, wrote several essays that all started with um, the death of the death of my father and my divorce were within a year of each other, you know, so it was really losing these two very um, prominent male figures in my life. And um, that just like really catapulted this awakening for me um, that that was the beginning of my own healing process. And, you know, I think healing is a word that I myself, you know, think about and contend with um, because I, I also like to talk about how there's nothing to be fixed. We aren't broken, <laughs> you know? Um, and that's kind of where I come to the point that healing to me is, uh, I reframe it as a returning back to ourselves. Um, you know, really like, who are we? Um, and I think the last thing I'll say is there's this podcast called Hurry Slowly. I'm not sure if you've heard of it. Um, I'm forgetting the host's name, but, um, she has um, a an episode where she talks about who are you without the doing, and that brings me back to what do you want to be when you grow up? Um, like outside of our actions, like who are we? You know, because I could say I'm a feminist healing coach. I was a writer, blah blah blah. Um, I was a speech therapist, but one thing I realized, even though I've had all of these trajectories in life, the one thing I kept bringing to all of this stuff was me. You know my way of being in this world rather than the doing. Um, so yeah, I think I'll close out on that in terms of how I move through the world and um, how I be in this world, how I am in this world. So yeah. I, I mean, you just awakened like 10 new things I want to talk about with you. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm not going to do that right now, but I really want to. Um, I'm so happy that I got to connect with you and just get to feel a little bit of your spirit is so beautiful. And like when you're talking about you to bring yourself to all these, your values come to whatever it is you're doing. It's really just your values. And it's you connecting and relating to these people and organizations. It's really clear, you know, there's certain people that you meet who do this work and you really feel like it's their personal culture and practice. It's not mm -hmm. just like work they teach, it's like how they live. And I really get that from you. And it's so settling and, and just such a relief. So thank you for you and thank you for your work. And anyone that, you know, I don't even know your, your full story, but anyone that goes through any kind of pain um, or oppression or trauma and emerges with like a bigger heart is always my hero. So mm -hmm. I, I thank you for being that person. Wow. Wow, I'm taking that in. Thank you so much, Luis. And I am so appreciative to be in this space with you and to um, uh, evoke more of the juiciness <laughs> that is that lemon. <laughs> That's my goodness, lemons. 
let's go, let's go do it right now. We'll never look at lemons the same. I, I will really. never look at a lemon the same again. I promise you. <laughs> I'm so glad. I'm so glad that we have that lemon connection. So yeah, thank you so much for inviting me and yeah, for connecting. So grateful. Okay, my friend, I'll look forward to seeing you in the future. Thank you. Thank you. Well, I hope you enjoyed today's episode. My question for you is, where do you feel the episode? Take a breath and just notice. What's your body doing right now? Sit with it. Let it speak to you. And let whatever comes up, come up. And your only job is to listen. For all the wisdom you need is right inside of you. To learn more about my work, you can visit holisticlifenavigation.com and sign up for my mailing list. You'll receive a weekly newsletter with specific monthly topics, free resources, and upcoming events. You can also follow me on Instagram. If you like my podcast, please leave a review and share. Thank you so much for joining me. I'll see you next time. Did you know your food cravings are actually a doorway to your subconscious? They are. We tend to see cravings as something bad or something we just give into mindlessly. But when you embody your cravings, you're able to notice they're just blossoming from a certain place that has a certain need and needs your attention. Join me on Wednesday, May 29th, as I unpack this in a new webinar called Cravings Destigmatized. In this webinar, I'll help you learn the difference between a nutritional craving and an emotional craving, as well as how do we use cravings to get in touch with our unmet needs and any of our unconscious, unprocessed emotional experiences. It begins at 4 p.m. Eastern, and everyone who registers will get a replay. You can find the link in the episode details, and you can also go to www.holisticlifenavigation.com and click on events and the information is right there. Hope to see you there.